Today, we take a tour around the Korean Peninsula to take a look at some of their most memorable creatures. First off, we journey to the lair of a unicorn that was recently rediscovered in North Korea. And then we visit an all-girls school to see if there's any truth to the legless, floating apparition of a spirit bent on revenge. And then finally, get your unitards ready because we are going to wrestle with one of Korea's most dangerous cryptids today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to slide right into this one. First off, we're going to give the keys to our vehicles. It's one key, fits all the vehicles. To one of our legacy Patreon supporters, Gary. Gary, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really means a lot. You are going to be our tour guide on our journey through Korea. If you can't support the Patreon, that's totally fine. Just help get the word out about the show. That helps a lot. And also, I want to give a shout out to listener Stealthy Steve. He is the guy who actually suggested looking into North Korean cryptids and really helped me create North Korea Week, which is what we're in the middle of right now. So really, really appreciate that, Stealthy Steve. Gary, fire up that Jason Jalopy. We're going to take a little drive through Korea. Now, a lot of these legends, because, you know, Korea, we see it now. It's two countries, the North and the South. But a lot of these legends are going to blur the two because they're Korean legends. Some of them are specifically North Korean, and that's actually where we're going first. So, Gary, I want you to drive our Jason Jalopy along the roads leading from Seoul, Korea, past the 38th parallel, and up to Yongyang, the capital of North Korea. Now, we have an invisibility cloak on our vehicle, so we don't get asked for passports. Everything is smooth sailing. But once we get to Yongyang, we have to shut off our invisibility cloak and we go looking for a newspaper. And that's when you check your watch and you're like, uh-oh, it's November 2012. And I put my hand on your shoulder and I say, yes, I know the Mayan gods are coming to destroy us like they promised to so long ago. But before they do, let's check out this newspaper. This is from the Korean Central News Agency, state-run media for North Korea. Now, luckily, this newspaper is printed in English, so we can read it. And it says, Unicorn Cave Found by Archaeologist. Everyone stunned! Exclamation point. Whoa, that's awesome. Now, you guys might remember the story, and it's actually kind of an interesting take on how the media plays with people, plays with their minds. Uh, you know, I'm a journalist. Uh, technically, this is journalism, but this isn't what I went to school for. I did do have a journalism degree, but print journalism was what my angle was. But anyways... Journalists are all about getting the facts across. That's what it should be. That's how I was trained. But a lot of it, you get manipulation through your bosses trying to sell a a slant to a story or government interfering with newspapers. Well, so this is interesting. So North Korea has been basically a quote unquote bad actor for a long time in U.S. politics, really since 1945. We have a lot of issues with them. So when they released an article about finding this cave, it got printed in the U.S. media and most Western media, as they found a unicorn cave. What a bunch of goofy little dudes who think that unicorns exist. I remember reading those articles and being like, yeah, it is kind of weird. Like, who thinks unicorns exist? Even though in Iceland, they stop road construction because a bunch of elves are hanging out. They don't get mocked for that. They don't get mocked for that because they're an ally. So I think that's an intro. It's just an, that's an interesting side note to see how this story was played up. A lot of you guys may remember when that story was in the media and how it was a big joke, and it is. 
But again, we give a pass to countries that are aligned with Western media, i.e. Iceland. So it was a big joke and it kind of went away. Actually, um, I started looking into it because I'm looking at these cryptids and they never said that. This is a really interesting story. So let's take a look at what this cave actually is. It's known as Kiriangul. Kiriangul. Now, North Korea believes that they are the true owners of Korea. And the South is Western-owned, U.S.-occupied. It's their property. And one of the ways that they are able to connect themselves to true Korea before the Japanese invasion, when they were a unique nation, is that the government of North Korea the Kims in particular believe that they are connected to the emperors and kings of old. That old game, Romance of the Three Kingdoms for the, for the NES, and people are like, yes, and then the historical documents regarding them. But Romance of the Three Kingdoms, that's referring to this whole time when you had a king of Korea actually had conquered parts of China. Very, very powerful nation in the past. So you have the North Koreans go, listen, we have a connection to these guys. We actually found the cave of the Kiringol in North Korea. So what is the cave of the Kiringol? Way, way back in the day, way back in the day, there was a guy named King Dongyong. Dongyong, right? And he, I'm 43, okay? And I think I've lived a pretty interesting life. My life's going pretty awesome, right? This dude, he died at 40. And from the time he was born to the time he died of, at 40 years old, three years before, I'm, I'm, I'm three years older than this guy will ever be, he created an empire that lasted for 700 years. That's, and it conquered all of Korea and chunks of China. It makes me feel bad, I'm putting out a podcast, <laughs> that this dude was able to do that. That's ambition, 700 years. So of course... They want to be linked to such a powerful leader. Could you imagine if a U.S. presidential candidate could connect himself to George Washington? This is even better. This dude basically is the Alexander the Great of Asia. So, one of the things, you know, and so he's a historical figure, but you end up having a lot of myth mixed in with it. And apparently, King Dongmyong wrote a quillin. So what's a quillin? Now, this is where it gets dicey. So quillin is generally translated into English as a unicorn. And that cave is supposed to be where the king got his quillin. Karen Gol was the cave, and that's where he got his quillin, his mythological beast, very, very powerful creature that he rode into battle, was his personal pet, his Pokemon, you may say. And so it's translated into English for whatever reason as a one-horned creature, i.e. a unicorn. So of course the media ran with it, uh, Cave of the Unicorn. This is an interesting cryptid because we actually know what this was. Very, This story is so fascinating. It's such a disservice that the media really portrayed the story the way that it was. This is what how the Quillen was dis- described in the ancient text. Sightings of this thing went back to the 5th century. It had antlers. It, didn't have, it wasn't a single horn. It had antlers sticking out of its head. It was a vegetarian. It was very quiet. It doesn't sound like the type of beast you would want to ride in a battle. I guess being quiet is probably a boon to that. But I would want to ride like a carnivorous monster into battle. Arr, 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 eating troops. Hopefully the enemy troops, not just ours. The quillin was described it had antlers. It was vegetarian. It was quiet. Scales on it, like a dragon or a fish. So armor, that's pretty dope, right? 
And then there's this quote from the old text. It could, quote, walk on grass without disturbing it. Now, that totally sounds like a cryptid, especially that last part. There's very few land animals that are big enough to ride that have armor on them. And if they do have armor on them, like a rhino or a hippo, one, you're not getting on the back of one of those things. And two, it disturbs the grass. But during the Ming Dynasty, so at some point during the Ming Dynasty, and that was from 1300 to 1600 AD, there was the, the emperor had discovered Aquilin, two of them, actually. And he bought them from Somalia. When his traders saw them in Somalia, they go, Oh my god, dude! This, this has to be it. This has to be the creature that we've heard about. So they ship him out to the emperor of China, and he goes, I am truly the king if I have the Quillen. And he kept them. And everyone would come and be amazed by these things. You know what they were? Antlers, vegetarian, quiet. Had reptilian or fish scales. Could walk on grass without disturbing it. They were giraffes. And it fits everything. And it's funny because people go, they go, that actually is how you would describe a, a giraffe. They do have the little antlers. They don't have the big deer antlers. And you probably could ride one. People go, he, he may not have been riding it into battle. That might be part of the myth. But he may have had a giraffe. This king, this ancient Korean king, may have had a giraffe with him. And I know I'm probably mispronouncing such a comment. Giraffe? Giraffe. Giraffe. Giraffe, right? Anyways, the long-necked creature. That would look like a... They look like a cryptid, really, to us. But they have those patches of fur, like the black and the yellow. It doesn't look completely like armor. It's not armor, but it looks like fish scales. The spots. They can walk without just such a big beast with such little legs, they can walk without disturbing the grass. So, what scientists and what like mythologists, people who study, sociologists, probably a better word, study, they believe that that's most likely what they were referring to. And there may have been wild giraffes in the area in Korea at some point. Maybe they were imported. Maybe someone bought them for a pet and then they got too big. They flushed them down the toilet and they popped up in Korea. We don't know. But it's most likely that the great king, Dong Myung, had a giraffe with him. And then people described it as this great beast. And then it's not indigenous to Korea, so it would have simply died out. It wouldn't have made it. And then we fast forward 800, 900 years. Yeah, as China begins expanding their trade, they discover there's an entire continent full of mythological beasts. That's an interesting story. I love that story because one, it's a cool little cryptid story and two, we have an answer to it. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Now our next topic's a little bit shorter and I think it's fascinating because it shows how quickly mythology changes. So Gary, let's fire up that Jason Jalopy. We are headed out to an all-girls school in South Korea. Now these ghosts are seen everywhere, but we're seeing a huge uptick in this phenomenon in South Korea. Here we go. Now, every culture has a ghost legend. Every culture has a legend of somebody passing away, coming back as some sort of phantom. Our earliest forms of literature deal with this. It's the big question. I think it's interesting that it's the big question, and yet the answers are always kind of the same. Like, you can take a tribe of people who have never been contacted by any other culture. They will have a story about being visited by their dead relatives. So I think there's something to it. But anyways... In Korea, they're known, ghosts are generally known as Gwisin. Gwisin. Now, 
typical ghost stuff, right? You die, you don't, haven't finished everything you wanted to do in life, you come back, you haunt people, you get the job done, or you can't, you can't bear to leave your loved ones, you kind of float around some. Basic ghost stuff. Basic, basic ghost stuff. We're not breaking any ground here. What's interesting about these ghosts in Korea is, one, the longer, the, and I've never come across this, I've always come across evidence to the, to the other side. The longer they stay on Earth, the stronger they get. Now, I, I, we've actually covered stories that's the opposite of that, where you have a house that's haunted, and there were reports of it being haunted in 1890 and 1910 and 1930 and 1950, and then they just kind of trail off. And I think it's always been common, I don't want to say common knowledge, because nobody knows, but I think it's always been kind of a common idea that ghosts get weaker over time. Whether it's some sort of electromagnetic uh, like, if you want to look at a rational answer and it's some sort of, like, electromagnetic field that's just recording stuff in the air that's going to dissipate over time. If it's an actual ghost, over time it just gets weaker, its power gets weaker. No, in Korea they get stronger. At First off, it's just the phantom of a girl walking down a hallway. But within a couple years, she can begin moving things. A couple more years, slamming doors... So they just become more and more powerful over time, which to me would be a selling point to be a ghost. If someone's like, go through the tunnel of light. If I knew if I didn't over the course of 80 years, I would simply dissipate in a haunted house anyways, I wouldn't. But if if, if I knew in 80 years, I'm basically going to be Hulk level ghost. I'm going to be picking up haunted houses and, and throwing them at lamer haunted houses. I'm like, what? You only had one family tragedy. <laughs> Smash and stuff. Godzilla-sized Casper just walking through town, kicking over buildings. I'm staying. So that's an interesting thing, that these ghosts hang out and get stronger. But these ghosts also commonly inhabit places ghosts you would think they would be. Abandoned buildings. Houses, obviously houses. The term haunted house. Cemeteries, forests. These are all pretty typical haunted places. Basic stuff. Where we see the most hauntings in Korea are schools. And you go, Jason, there's haunted schools. You've actually covered haunted schools in a lot of your episodes. True. But here's the thing. It's predominantly in schools. There are more of these ghosts seen in schools than there are in haunted houses, abandoned buildings, graveyards, stuff like that. Now, it could be for one of two reasons. One, if a ghost is hanging out in an abandoned building, there's no one there to notice that it's there, right? There could be a thousand ghosts in there for all you know. There could be a ghost gala going on right now. You would never know. Because it's abandoned. You have people in school all the time. So if there's a ghost there, it has more likelihood of being seen. That's true. That could be. It's also, though, most likely because of the movie industry over there. This is fascinating. Ghosts, again, have been around since the beginning of mankind. People have been talking about ghosts forever. The reason why ghosts are so popular in schools in South Korea, because there's a film series about ghosts in schools in South Korea called Whispering Corridors. It was a cultural phenomenon in South Korea, made for $600,000, and it was like the third highest grossing movie in South Korea that year. There's been like six sequels made to it. So because of these movies, this is so interesting, it basically created a phenomenon. The ghost existed, and the ghost existed in normal ghost places, and yes, ghosts are seen in schools all over the world, but nowadays, that's the number one spot they're located, is in schools, specifically all-girls schools. Because these ghosts, another interesting thing about them, they are very, very rarely male. If you see one, it's a woman. And they're dressed like a movie ghost. All white, long black hair. Now people go, the reason why that's in the movie is because it's based on real life. And that's probably true. 
But it's interesting how it's become a self-perpetuating thing. The ghosts in the movies are female. These ghosts are almost exclusively seen as female. Ghosts in the movies were at school. These ghosts are almost exclusively now seen in school. Now, we're walking through this hallway in this all-girls school. We're dressed up like teachers, so we don't look too bizarre. That We're a bunch of adults in here. We're walking down the hallway, and we every so often we hear, ooh, the place is full of ghosts. It's like they predicted. Here's my question to you guys. Is there a sex disparity between ghosts? Now, think about it. Think about it. Before you jump to an answer, because we have told stories about ghosts that were men and ghosts that were women. But thinking about it in my head, I think most of the ghosts that I can think of off the top of my head were women when they were alive, right? Like, isn't that weird? It's so funny because I was researching this stuff way before doing this podcast. And I think of all the ghost stories I've ever come across, they, I would, I personally think off the top of my head, it's like a 70-30 split. 70% of the ghosts are women. 30% are men. And that, I could be wildly off on that. And if I am, I think it's even higher women ghosts. Isn't that bizarre? I never thought about that before. Ever, ever thought about that before. We don't have a racial disparity in ghosts. We have ghosts of all different ethnicities in America. We've come across that. And then you have Korean ghosts in Korea, Russian ghosts in Russia, and stuff like that. But as far as sex goes, I think South Korea may be pointing out something that that hasn't been recognized in the paranormal community, that most ghosts are women. When you look at the Wikipedia page for this ghost, for this Gwisson, it lists why these ghosts exist. Again, this is basic ghost stuff. So here's this list of reasons why these ghosts may stick around. Again, you have basic ghost stuff. They wanting to stay longer, not wanting to say goodbye to loved ones. Revenge is one of those things. Now, both of those are unisex, right? There are women who want to get revenge. There are men who want to get revenge. But... When we get down to stuff like unsuccessful birth, that is only something that a woman can experience. So right there, you have a, right there that's going to skew the numbers. And even when you think, this might sound callous, but even when you think about it, not wanting to leave somebody, this is going to sound super callous, but not wanting to leave someone or having unfinished work, I think a a ghost, a dude would be like, ah, give him my best shot. (laughs) Goes in the tunnel of light while, while a, a mother may be looking at her... Ch- and again, this it might be out of line, but a mother looking at her children may be like, I don't want to leave. Think about all of the ghost stories we've come across about a man going out to war, dying, and then the woman jumping off a building and killing herself. We've covered uh, quite a few of those stories just on this podcast, and I haven't even covered all of them. How often does the other side happen? Now, I know it happens, but... As far as like, it, 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 I know it unfortunately happens and men kill themselves because of bad relationships. But when we look at origins of ghost stories, I have not seen that. I have not seen a story where a young woman dies before her time and the young man kills himself and then is haunting an area. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've seen couples die and the couple haunts the area. And I've seen the man dies and the woman kills herself. So there may actually, and I'm, I'm not saying, obviously men do kill themselves because of trauma and losing loved ones. But I'm talking in this ghost story realm, never come across that. There may actually be a discrepancy between the sexes, male versus female. And if that's true, that's huge. 
Because that's actually a measurable thing we can look at. And that's one thing that science is always grappling with when it comes to the paranormal. If everyone who died became a ghost, it would be super easy to measure. There would be millions upon millions of ghosts everywhere, but there's not. So not everyone who dies become a ghost. But if we can start looking at break, like demographic breakdowns of, of a ghost, even if it's something simple, saying it's more likely if you're a woman to become a ghost than if you're a man to become a ghost, that's something you can actually begin to plug into studies and factors. Fascinating stuff. There's, I think there might be something there. I think there might be something there. But as we continue to analyze whether or not there is something there, we have one more story to cover. So we're saying goodbye to the all-girls school. We're saying goodbye to the... There's an entire classroom, just 30 ghosts just sitting there. The teacher's a ghost. Fire up that carboner copter. We are headed to the skies, Gary, because we got one more cryptid to visit. We're going to go see the Dokebi. Now, before you guys start flooding my YouTube comments with, did you know Dokebi is a character in Rainbow Six Siege? I do know that. I've also learned that when people listen to my show on YouTube, they begin commenting halfway through the episode, and then I address what they're commenting about, and they put in an edit. LOL, sorry, I didn't know you were going to say that. But anyway, so I had to get that right out there. Dokebi. This is an interesting cryptid. Again, I want to waste your time with something else. And we're going to end with a story that I honestly have mixed feelings about. I kind of have mixed feelings about this. What is the Dokebi? An easy way to say it is a Korean goblin. Monstrous figure, long fangs, sling, claws, snick, monstrous man, ah, coming at you. It's interesting because depending on where you live, these guys either suck, they're either the worst thing you could possibly run into, or a local god. These creatures have existed for thousands of years. We can look back into legends of Korean mythology and find these things. Very, very powerful creatures. They definitely look goblin-like. But sometimes they're quite passive. So let's say you have a fishing village. One of the things that the Dokebi can do is control the waves. Can control the creatures of water. So you'd have a fishing village prey to this thing. You've seen what these have looked like. This is a very traditional face of an Asian monster. In fact, the Red Devils, it's the, it's the national football team in South Korea. The Red Devils, their logo is the Dokebi. It's just this monstrous face. If you saw it, you'd instantly recognize it. But you would have fishing communities worship this thing because it would bring about a good harvest. You'd have other communities that would see it as what it looked like, a devil, a monster. They can be aggressive. They can be mischievous at best, really. Downright, pathologically aggressive at worst. And it's interesting because these are not the spirits of the dead. These aren't a When I say goblin, that's what they look like. But a goblin's kind of a separate species from humanity. What these things are is they're the spirits of inanimate objects that have come to life, generally by having blood spilled on them. We covered that in our first episode of North Korea Week, the story of the Polgasari. You have a broom. Sweep, sweep, sweep. You're sweeping stuff up. It's a good broom. You've had it for a long time, sweeping stuff up. Ow! Ugh! I got a splinter. I'm going to stand right over this broom and accidentally drop some blood. Drip, drop. Drip. Ding! And then a Dokebi jumps out of it. Now, you may be upset that you pretty much just lost your broom. But again, depending on where you live at, that might be cool. You might be like, yes, dude. It's like a sitcom. It's like Perfect Strangers, except one of you is a mythological creature. But again, some villages hated these guys. Absolutely hated these guys because they would walk through town and just start pushing over apple carts. And you're like, oh no, that's the only apples in all of North Korea. And he's stepping on them. (laughs) 
Definitely a creature that you don't want to run across. But what's interesting is there's a breakdown for these guys as well. And I think a lot of this has to do with the region. But one of them, probably the most feared one. And you're going to say, like, really, dude? This is the most feared one? Think about it, though. Think about this for a second. There was a guy named Odari Dokebi. Now, he, you'd be walking through the woods, right? Humming a jaunty tune, looking for more apples since that other Dokebi knocked over your apple cart. And a Dokebi jumps out. Oh, I won't let you pass unless you can beat me at a wrestling match. And we're doing Korean wrestling, which is called Sisseremi or something. He can't even pronounce it. Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm a monster. I don't have to pronounce stuff. Now, Sisseremi is traditional Korean wrestling where each person has a belt. And it actually sounds kind of fun. The point is, is if any part of your body above your knee touches the ground, the other guy gains a point. That's kind of interesting. So you can wrestle on your knees. I think that's usually where the match starts. And you can bring them down. to If they stand up, you can bring them down to their knees. But you don't get a point until an arm or an elbow or a head or a shoulder touches the ground. It's kind of fascinating. It's national wrestling over there. So this dude jumps down. Now, obviously, his whole thing, one, he's a goblin. And two, his whole thing is wrestling. So you figure he's going to be pretty good. My questions are this. One, what if you don't have a belt on? You need to have these looped belts to really do the match because that's what you grab onto. Does he loan you one? Actually, you know, that's funny because these guys do have invisibility cloaks that every so often they'll give one to someone. That's OP technology. Like an invisibility cloak is anyone could become the worst person ever just by having an invisibility cloak. I don't think any good would ever come out of someone being able to turn truly invisible these guys gave him out like they were cupcakes and then they also had magic wands so again the level of power these guys aren't tree gnomes the level of power these guys had available to them was far beyond what most cryptids have so you go i gotta wrestle a monster i'm in pretty good shape here's the thing you gotta wrestle the monster he's super good at it totally can lay you out but his name is oderi dokebi which means one-legged Dokebi. So now you're wrestling a dude with just one leg, and apparently he's pretty easy to beat. It's funny because I'm reading this, and it's like that you meet this guy, and he wants to wrestle you, and he has this special wrestling ability and all this stuff. Then you read a couple more paragraphs down, and they're like, oh, by the way, he only has one leg. Well, that should have been... I, you should have just told me that in the beginning. Apparently, though, it's quite strong, but they say just sweep the leg, and you win, and you get to go on your way. There's Gaxi Dokebi, which means maiden Dokebi. And Chongguk Dokebi, which means Bachelor Dokebi. They're the smooth talkers. You run into these monsters in the middle of the woods. You're getting some action, dude. It may be with a monstrous looking dude or gal, but you're banging something tonight. They may be banging your head against the rock when you're done, but you know, going home. You're going home with somebody. In this time of self-isolation, that's a that's a win, right? And then we have the wrestling one. We have Gim Sabang Dokebi which literally means Mr. Kim Dokebi. He's just a farmer. He's specifically a dumb Dokebi that looks like a farmer. So you pass, you win the wrestling match, you end up banging this chick Dokebi who, you know, any poor in a storm, and then you meet a dumb, a dumb one who has a farm, and his name is literally Mr. Kim Dokebi. So that's kind of a nice little... That should be like, remember those Mr. Smiley books when we were kids, Mr. Happy and all that stuff? They should do one where it's just Dokebi, but I guess you don't have to... I guess you can't have the one who's like the sexy Dokebi trying to bang you. So that's a little tour of the Dokebis, but I wanted to end it with this. So this is an old legend involving a Dokebi. There's a lot more Dokebis out there, but let me end this with a Dokebi story. This is an old legend. 
thought this was an interesting legend. I have mixed feelings about it. A long time ago, in a cabin up in a mountain, there was an old man who lived all alone. One day, there's a knock at his door. He opens the door. And there's a Dokebi standing there. A monstrous man at his doorstep. Now, the old man doesn't know what to do. But he wants to be polite, so he invites the Dokebi into his house and gives him a beer. And Dokebi is very grateful for this, and he's drinking at the al He's drinking with the old man. They begin talking, and they talk for a bit, and the Dokebi goes, It's time for me to leave. He leaves the house. But the Dokebi had a really good time there. So he returns to the old man's house. Hello, you know who it is. Old man's like, oh, Dokebi, what's going on, my man? Hey, I got some more drinks for you. They come in, pouring more drinks. And the Dokebi began to visit his house pretty regularly. They became good friends. They'd have long conversations as the sun set in the sky. Dokebi would leave. And the old man would go to sleep with a smile on his face. Been a long time since he had a friend like that. And it had been a long time since the Dokebi had met someone who accepted him. But one day the old man was out by himself and he was walking through the woods. And he comes across the stream. And he leans over to get a drink of water and he sees his reflection. His teeth are sharper. His eyes more fierce. His face was being transformed into that of a fiend. He realized that he was slowly becoming a Dokebi himself. So he hatched a plan. The next time the Dokebi came over, the old man, him and the old man spoke like they normally do. And then the old man finally said, Dokebi, what do you fear the most? Dokebi sighed heavily and said, I'm afraid of blood. The old man goes, okay. Dokebi goes, old man, what are you afraid of the most? The old man looked around, fear in his eyes. He leaned close to the Dokebi and said, Money. I fear money more than anything. That's why I live up here alone. Dokebi nods. The next day, before the Dokebi can return to the old man's house, he slaughters one of his cows and covers the house in blood and hides inside. And when the Dokebi is walking through the woods to visit his friend that day, he sees the house slathered in fresh blood. You fool, the Dokebi raged. I'll be back with your greatest fear. Dokebi runs into the forest. The old man sits and waits. A few hours later, the Dokebi returns and begins throwing bags full of gold coins into the old man's house, smashing all of his windows. And the Dokebi turns and leaves. The old man takes all the gold into town. Now the wealthiest man in the area, he no longer has to live alone in the mountains. He can afford a house wherever he wants.
That's an interesting story, and it's it's funny. Like when you first read it, it's kind of a funny thing. Like it's you, you know, it's almost set up like a joke. I can imagine a parent telling that story to their kids in Korea, and the kids laughing. Can you tell me the story about the Tokebi again? Because it's a story that involves a, a monster. It's story and then involves a monster getting outwitted, and it kind of has a funny ending. The old man he couldn't afford to move anywhere else. This was a trick. The second time you read it, though, I feel so bad for that Dokebi. That story actually makes me really, really sad. Because I've been in that situation. I think we've all been in that situation, right? You think you've made a good friend. You think you've met somebody who, like, understands you, and it turns out they don't. Oh, so heartbreaking. This monster walking through the middle of nowhere finally finds someone who doesn't worship him, who doesn't fear him, who just wants to be his buddy. And then imagine that. Just imagine that. You're going to your friend's house. You reveal your worst fear to your friend. You're going to your friend's house. And he makes your worst fear true. I mean, I get the old man. He didn't want to become a monster and all that stuff, but I don't know, man. That one, that story just really hits me in the feels, dude. Is that, is that just me? Ugh. Takes a lot to get an emotional reaction out of this old salty conspiracy theorist, but that little story that Okebi do, I, I feel bad for that dude. I'm not saying I would necessarily invite him or invoke him to hang out at my apartment, but I hope you did find a friend out there, buddy. I hope somewhere out there, somewhere in the Korean Peninsula, you finally found a friend who likes you for you, even if they end up turning into another you. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Thank you.